everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today uh, was here last year when Daughter of War was released. Um, Brad Taylor is well-known to those who write military thrillers, but also because of his service to our country um, in Special Forces Delta, where he served um, quite a bit in the Middle East and other undisclosed locations. Um, His final assignment in the military was an assistant professor of military science at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, where he lives. Um, He holds a master's of science in defense um, analysis um, and with a concentration in irregular warfare, which to me is very interesting because to me, warfare is all irregular. Um, In 2011, Brad published his first novel, One Rough Man, which was an immediate success, and it launched the Pike Logan series, of which he is very well known for. Um, His book, he is an international bestseller. His books have sold over 2 million copies. I'm proud to welcome back to the studio, Brad Taylor. Brad, thanks so much for coming back, and um, welcome to Authors on the Air again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, I know you're getting ready to start your book tour because your new book, Hunter Killer, releases in January. I was fortunate enough to get you in now before you start what looks like a really brutal tour. You are going everywhere this time. It looks like you're crossing the country several times over. Um, yeah, when uh, they, uh, they they keep adding stuff to it, and I'm like, how much stuff can you cram into a five pound bag <laughs> but um, yeah. if you want to do this I'm like yeah I'll do it okay let's do it yeah uh, well I'm thrilled that um, you are actually coming to Florida my hometown and are making four stops um, two of them are actually within driving distance for me but uh, my, my bestie and I who goes with my driver to every book signing and every conference there is uh, will be attending your book signing in Naples Florida so um uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you again I- in person. I think we met at a Thor yeah, Fest one year. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I was reading your blog. And, well, first of all, before we go there, I want to talk a little bit about your bio because um, your your advanced degree is what you call an irregular warfare. I've never heard that before, and mostly because I know very little about the military, uh, you know, other than what I read. What is irregular warfare? Uh, irregular warfare, it's not, it's not really, you know, cryptic, some kind of arcane science. It just means that uh, regular warfare is state on state. So you have Top Gun dogfights. There's a plane over here and there's a plane over there, and they're shooting each other. You've got tank battles. Right. All these tanks are coming this way, and our tanks are going that way. Battle of the Bulge, Normandy. That's right. regular warfare. Irregular warfare uh, encompasses everything outside of that. Hybrid warfare, terrorism insurgency. So instead of a plane on plane attack, they blow the pilots up on the ground. Instead of the tanks doing tank on tank battle, you're blowing up the fuel trucks so the tanks don't get any fuel. That's that's kind of what a regular warfare is. It's not uh, state on state. Wow. Since you published your first book in 2011, you've now you have more than 13 installments in your books and it's only 2019 you're a writing machine because your books are not lightweight um i have the pleasure of reading hunter killer 
as I did Daughter of War. And um, this is not for the faint of heart. It, it really, you, I like the fact that you write up to your reader's intelligence. Yeah, I always try to. I mean, the, yeah. uh, the hardest thing is, uh, I mean, you want to you want to be accurate as far as the military goes and as far as the, the government systems go and that kind of thing. But on the other hand, you don't want to confuse a reader. You don't want the reader just to be left, you know, behind, so to speak. Uh, and so I try to make it just as plain as it is. And the truth of the matter is, national security affairs, war in and of itself, is not cryptic either. It's kind of plain. <laughs> you can you can describe it exactly how it is, and uh, the reader will understand it. Right. Well, you're not giving away any secrets about how uh, a special forces team works. You are calling on your own experience. I mean, you certainly can't give that away, no matter who else is out there writing about it. Um, you know, I, it seems very detailed to me. Like I said, I don't know. There's no, there are no military people in my family, um, so I, I don't know that much about it. But um, it, it seems very realistic to me. It scares the devil out of me, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, uh, when I was on active duty serving in the special mission unit, the um, Everything started changing about 2003-ish, 2004-ish. It used to be that, uh, you know, the Q shop that James Bond has was a real deal. The, the neatest, greatest, the nicest, the fastest Ferrari-looking gadgets were all inside the government. They were inside uh, the Q shop of the CIA or inside, you know, the special mission unit or whatever it was. But technology has so overcome everything else that now um, – Everything that's in technology, commercial off the shelf, is better than anything the government can design. Uh, and so now the government is leveraging, you know, Silicon Valley instead of saying, "I'm going to build my own Q shop here. Why don't I just buy what he's building?" Right. And so it's operating. now. Is it Microsoft staff were protesting because they did not want, or I think it was Microsoft didn't want to be Google. involved with the department. Google didn't want to be involved with the Gar- Department of Defense, correct? Yeah, they, they didn't want to be a part of the Department of Defense, but boy, howdy, they'll sure sell it to the Chinese. Don't get me going right. there. But no, okay. no, I not. Well, there are, and so there are a couple of like kind of interesting things I want to talk to you about because, and, and we're going to talk about your book, but also I I did a really in depth read on your blog, and um, one of your blogs from a, a while ago was after the mass shooting in Florida. Um, at Mar- Marjorie Stoneman, Stoneman Douglas School, which was not too far from where I grew up. And um, you talked a, a little bit about, you know, the same tired arguments. Why is that? It, oh, it was after the Las Vegas massacre. That's what it was. Yeah. And um, I know that you are very well trained in the use of firearms of all sorts, a- as you should be and as you must be. And I don't have anything a uh, problem with people owning handguns and all. You made a very interesting argument for – I can't remember the exact word, but bump stocks and um, cyclic, is that what you called it, uh, weapons? The cyclic rate of the weapon, yeah. It, yes. it duplicates – a bump stock duplicates a fully automatic weapon without being fully automatic. Now, in the, in the statutes of the United States law, every time you pull the trigger, if more than one bullet goes off, that's an automatic weapon. If you have to pull the trigger twice in order for two bullets to go off, that's a semi-automatic weapon, and that's legal. The bump stock renders that somewhat irrelevant because it cycles the weapon. You put your finger on the trigger, and the bump stock itself causes the weapon to fire like it's automatic. Now, am I to take it that you think these should be um, banned? 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I'll get egg thrown in my face. There'd be tons of people yelling about that, but I don't see any reason why they. Uh, I mean, they don't serve any useful purpose. Yeah, ban them. Right. I mean, before it so, was just kind of, hey, it's needed to range. Look, I, I, you know, I can't afford a fully automatic weapon, but I can pretend like I do. And you're shooting at the range. Oh, that's really cool. Well, when you did it at a concert and killed a bunch of people, it's no longer cool. Why is there such gridlock? And you and I are on opposite sides of the aisle, but I always find that there are. You don't uh, even know what I'm on. What are you talking about? Of course I do. I read your blogs. <laughs> okay. All right. I and, bet and you I don't know what I'm on. I, I, but I, but I agree with you on many of the things you said. So um, why are politicians just, you know, talking BS? Why aren't they? Well, I mean, done? for that specific instance, it's that's in the blog itself. I mean, as soon as right. that travesty occurred, uh, Hillary Clinton comes out and says, "We need to ban all the silencers, ban silencers, ban silencers," and it's like, what in the hell is she talking about? <laughs> that would have, that would have no have, bearing have on this incident whatsoever. Exactly. It's, I and so what that. happens is people that own firearms, like myself, have no trust in anybody on the other opposing side. They want to use anything right. to get rid of firearms, and that's the reason there's a divide specifically for firearms. I, you know, I can't talk about oil or you know whatever else is going on right, with Medicare, right. well, but well, you that's know, why. I, I, I'm a survivor of a violent crime, and um, when I lecture, and I lecture quite a bit, I show my crime scene photos and all, and I tell everyone – you know, if someone is threatening your life and you have a gun, you shoot to kill. Um, and I don't own a gun, by the way. I, you know, I, my hands are too damaged. I can't fire a gun. But, um, but I have no problem with people protecting themselves. What I do have a problem with, maybe you disagree, I, one of my brothers says that if someone goes in his yard at night, he's going to shoot to kill. And I said, but what if it's a kid chasing after a toy or a dog or something? He said, if someone goes in my house or goes in my yard, I'm going to shoot to kill. I have that right. How do you feel about things like that? Well, I, to be honest with you, having served in combat over and over again, the principle of discrimination comes into play immediately. I mean, when I – and you're talking about a house in the United States somebody runs into. Right. Let me say about a house in Iraq where I'm assaulting. When I assault no, that no, house, I, I don't immediately start I, killing everybody. I have to discriminate well, my targets. Don't. If somebody is a yeah, threat, then I eliminate the threat. If it's not a threat, then I don't eliminate the threat. And I, I certainly would not time. have – I would yeah. not shoot some kid that came into my front yard. I mean I can yeah, discriminate. I, I, I have the, the monopoly of violence in my own house. So if somebody came into my yard and I had a gun, why would I have to shoot? I own the monopoly of violence. I would say, what right. are you doing in my yard? <laughs> There's no right. reason for me to shoot. Right. Uh, well, see, that's what why I'm saying most people, I think, have that same thought as you do. Most responsible gun owners I know have that exact same thought. Um, I, I guess the reason I am bringing up this very controversial subject, something I normally don't do, is because there are so many people who do not have your training, nor do they wish to get your type of training any type of training. And I think that's why your blog, when I was reading that trip me, I was very surprised to see that you said to eliminate this bump stock type of encyclic weapons. So thanks for that. I mean, I wasn't trying to get anybody upset or blame anybody for anything. I just am curious. I'm a member of the NRA and I, you know, I own a lot of firearms, uh, but it's my, what I say in those blogs is it's, it's, it's so polarized now. I, I certainly got my share of hate mail. So, 
Well, I'll, I'll probably get my share of hate mail too, you know. So, but <laughs> I'm sorry if we can't talk like civilized human beings about things that we know nothing about or that we're curious about. You know, what's the point of talking? I, I firmly believe that you're an expert. I know nothing. That's why I'm asking you. You know. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, I have my own views, and I and uh, you, you've seen the blogs have kind of dribbled off from yes. about. I used to do one a month. And the I country's know. so polarized now that I just – it's not even worth it. I still see and, things every day that I'm like, I'm going to blog about that. And then I'm like, nah, you just get everybody mad and they'll start yelling at you. And so I just don't do it anymore. Yeah, it's uh, – in your spot and probably in mine, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, I, I don't talk about politics, um, but I do talk about guns because I think they're such um, – so far reaching in our society and you're right it is a polarizing topic and i don't think it should be i think good minds can come together to make some logical choices yeah maybe that's just me i could be wrong no actually so, i completely agree with you i mean that's, that's why you. i said you don't know which aisle i stand on because i have my own views i don't uh i'm not running around you know saying give everybody a gun give everybody a gun uh, on the other no, hand I, know you're not. I think that the other side saying you know take everybody's gun take everybody's gun it's it's right. throwing the baby out with the bathwater it's not necessary i agree with you no and i agree and and here's the thing i am also i i do agree with that even though i'm scared of guns and believe me i worked for two police departments at one time so i'm the, i was a victim advocate i'm used to being around them i'm just afraid of them because i don't i don't know anything about them they're overwhelming well you should me, go so. shoot them I can't. I have too much nerve and tendon damage in my hands. You can shoot a long rifle, I bet. You think? You may you may not be able to hold a pistol uh, accurately, but you could shoot a long rifle on a bench. I guarantee it. Really? So yeah. Okay. I'm I'm going to take your word. Listen, I live in freaking Fort Myers. There's nothing for me to shoot around here. I'm in my house with five cats. I feel protected. You know. <laughs> I don't go anywhere. Well, I'll give you an example. I took my daughter out shooting the other day, um, and uh-huh. she's been raised in a military family and all that, but she's sure. never shot before in her life. And I said, hey, uh-huh. let's go out and go shooting. And so she was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I you know, I spent um, a couple hours inside the house on the floor, siding in the weapons, showing her how to do trigger control, everything like that. And then we went out and shot. Well, she loved it so much, she just left. She was in um, Virginia and uh, took my 22, little 22 plinker pistol, and she's up there with her boyfriend shooting at the range. I mean, she enjoys it. Oh, that's cool. Well, I listen, I have a lot of friends who, who definitely enjoy it, a lot of female friends who do. Wouldn't be caught without their weapons, and, you know, good for them. I'm just uh, too, too afraid, and I don't know anybody who could teach me how to shoot a weapon. So, uh, you know, I don't. I want to talk about – I want to go down to books because – Obviously, <laughs> years. <laughs> well, you know, listen. If someone doesn't like us after this, Brad, screw it. You know, what are you gonna do? I mean, there there are worse people in the world than you and I talking about guns. Um, you have an interesting background. You grew up in. You were born in Okinawa. How long were you there before you moved to Texas? Oh, literally. I think we flew out when I was eight months old. I don't remember any of it. Oh, okay. You don't remember anything. So you grew up on 40 acres in rural Texas, and um, after you graduated from university, you went into the military. And I know when you go, when you graduate with a degree, you go in as an officer when you enlist. Isn't that correct? Well, I, it was in the ROTC program. There's plenty of enlisted people who have degrees. Uh, I uh-huh. just happened to, I went to the ROTC program for a commission, ah. to be a commission officer. You, you knew that that's what you wanted to do? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> really? It's actually kind of a funny story. My uh, first, I call my first freshman year, I was an incredibly horrible student, and I was flunking out. I was basically going to flunk out of school. And my dad said, if you flunk out of school, you're going in the Army. And that was back in the be-all-you-can-be days, be all that you can be. And right. I was right. like, only losers go in the Army. Oh, my God, I'm going to be a loser. I'm going to have to go in the Army because I was flunking out of school. So I started doing research on the Army. And uh, what I found was, you know, they're going to pay me to jump out of airplanes and run around the woods with a rifle. I mean, that's kind of what I did on a daily basis anyway. And uh, so my second freshman year, I joined our <laughs> Your second freshman year? I love that. <laughs> so that's basically what I did. I joined RTC and decided to go in the Army. That's so interesting to me. And when you, when did you develop your love of writing? Oh, I've always been a voracious reader. I, I was the kid that mom would come upstairs and say, you know, turn the flashlight out underneath the covers. I've read right. my entire life, read everything there is. People say what genre to read. I'd say I've, I've read every genre there is outside of uh, romance. I, actually, I've read romance novels when I was in Iraq. There you go. <laughs> the bookstores. The uh, AP's bookstore, only thing left was a bunch of romance novels, so I was reading those. So I've go. read everything, and I just, in uh, the back of my head, was uh, always thought to myself, I'm going to write a book. Just sooner or later, I'm going to write a book. And when I came down here to the Citadel, I had a lot of time on my hands. It was when I left the Special Mission Unit, it was like stepping off a bullet train and, and walking. I had tons wow. of time on my hands. So I told my wife that, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to write a book. She was like, hey, whatever. And I thought I'd sit on the bedside <laughs> table. It'd be one of those things where your mom says, Brad wrote a book. It's really good. You know, that'd be about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then it sold. It was one rough man. When it sold, I had to make a decision. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Your first manuscript sold? Yeah. One rough man. First one I've ever written. I mean, I've written, Hot you know, time. master's theses and things like that. But Sure, sure. No, that was I, I sat down one day to write a book, and I did. I wanted to write a story of redemption. I didn't, I didn't set out to, you know, write about military affairs or military thrillers or anything like that. I just wanted to write a story of redemption because I kind of liked that theme. And, uh, you know, everybody said, write what you know, write what you know. If I'd have been right. a cop, Pike would have been a cop. If I'd have been a priest, Pike would have been wearing a collar. I happened to be a special forces guy, so Pike became a counterterrorist commando. Let's talk about Hunter Killer. This book is so exciting because this is really puts Pike's team on the line. They are they have been able to outsmart, outwit, outforce everybody who comes before comes before them. But now they are are um, kind of come up against a group of counter-terrorists who are almost or as good or as evenly matched as they are. Yeah. So tell and us it's a what real group happened. Too. It, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so, so when I wrote Daughter of War, I had one of the antagonists, a, a tangential antagonist, was a uh, private military company called Wagner, uh, which is owned mm-hmm. by Russia. Uh, and those guys are everywhere. It's a real group. They're in Libya right now. They're all over Syria, Central African Republic. They're everywhere. And so I finished Daughters of War, and I still had some feeds. Every morning I spent about two hours reading feeds from all over the world. And I still had some tags for uh, the Wagner um, private military company, and I got this notification saying that they were now in Venezuela protecting the dictator down there because of all the turmoil going on. 
Russia has basically sent them down there to, to fix the problem. Russia likes using them because it gives them plausible deniability. There is no Russian soldier killed. There's these private military guys, and so they can do the bidding of Russia without the fallout of being part of the Russian state. And are, I saw that story, Russian, and so I started are, doing the research on it. Are, are they Russian? Are they Russian mercenaries, though? Yeah, that's exactly what they are. Oh, they're, they've all okay. had military training. They're they're okay. military folks from the Russian, and in some cases, they've actually been plucked from the military and ordered to go to work for Wagner. I mean, it's it's not like a volunteer thing. It's like, hey, you four guys are no longer wearing that uniform. Get on this plane. You're going to Libya, and you're going to go fight for Wagner. And mm-hmm. most of the times, the guys do it because they get you know a heck of a lot more money getting paid for. Yeah. Yeah. But when they do it, they, uh, it gives plausible deniability for the uh, Russian Federation. Well, I started looking at that, and um, Russia has a thing where we're, we're slowly but surely encroaching on what they call their near abroad. So NATO's getting bigger, um, and we've made our own mistakes on that. So we've, every country, Montenegro just joined NATO. All these guys are getting closer and closer and closer to Russia, and they call it their near abroad. And so they said, uh, as a strategy document, we want to go into America's near abroad. Let's start doing that with them. And uh, I saw the uh, incursion into uh, Venezuela, and then I saw the absolute circus of the uh, Brazilian elections that was going on right at that right. same time, where the right. leader of the, the guy that was winning all the races was uh, actually in jail for corruption, and they discovered right. the largest oil fields uh, in the 20th century, offshore oil fields. And so I uh, said, that's, that's a story there, and that's how it kind of built up. Um, it is. I'm not going to give any parts of it away, but I will tell you that it's a little over 400 pages, and it's nonstop action, which is something that I like. It, and I'll tell you what I do when I when I have a book like this. At the very last chapter, I stop, and I put the book down. I go to bed, and then I read it the next day because I don't want the last chapter to keep me awake all night. And also, <laughs> it's kind of like. It's kind of like um, the last bottle of your very finest wine being poured into your glass just for that just little extra special test. It's really good stuff, Brad. Um, I will tell you that my heart raced the entire time I was reading this. Well, I will tell you that last chapter took me longer to write than probably two-thirds of the book. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, it's just because you've got to really make it right. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was without a doubt bang on. So, um I really really enjoyed reading it. When you you seem so busy with all the things that you do, well, with travel obviously you're not doing anything but traveling because you're hopping across the country. Um are you a very dedicated writer? Are you sitting down every day trying to get something down? I uh I am except I'm working on book 15 right now. We came back from Taiwan and Australia. And uh, I'm trying to get traction. So I used to try to do a, uh, you know, everybody says write 1,000 words a day or 2,000 words a day or whatever. And I always ended up deleting the words because I hated them. So I'm going through the traction, trying to get traction right now on the book. And in fact, before you called, I was staring at the screen going, okay, what are you going to type now? Got to have something <laughs> going on here. Do you t- – do you um- – write your books in chronological order or if do you maybe sometimes have a thought of something you want to happen down the road and write that and add it in later no i don't because i uh i i have scenes in my head that i can't wait to get to and so uh-huh. they're kind of like uh, my own 
uh, reward. <laughs> so ah, in order to get uh-huh. to the reward, I need to write the other stuff. And so I never skip ahead and write the scene that I want to write and then go back. I force myself to write what's coming, which is why I'm staring at the screen right now. Because there's a lot of, you know, when you write a series, the hardest part about the series is you've got to put enough information in there because it's a standalone book for a new reader. But on the other hand, sure. you don't want to bore the hell out of people who've read all this before. And so exactly. you've got to, I've got to introduce Pike. I've got to introduce Jennifer. I've got to introduce the task force. I've got to introduce the oversight council. I've got to introduce all this stuff in such a manner that it flows with the book. And um, it's not boring. And that's what I'm doing right now, which I just hate. Because <laughs> <I mean>, <laughs> you don't want to say the same so, thing you said in the last book, and you want to give the, the reader information about what they're reading, who these people are, what they do, uh, in such a manner that it's, it's not um, somebody standing up with a PowerPoint slide and going, let's stop the book now, and I'm going to give you a briefing on the task force. Right, you know right. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember what you've written in your first book so that when the 15th book is being written, um, you're not, you know, coloring outside the lines? In other words, if no. Pike is, is six foot two, you don't uh, want him what, to that's shrink the, or grow. The bane of my existence. <laughs> I really wish, I mean, like I said, I never thought I'd have a single book published, much less 15 uh-huh. or 14 now. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so I really wish I'd have been smart and cataloged everything. So a good example is Shoshana. I've got to go back to, you know, every time I start writing about Shoshana, I'm like, well, I don't remember right. how tall is she, what, you know, what she looked like. So I go back to the very first book. For her, it was uh, Days of Rage. But the biggest example of this is No Fortunate Son. Um, Kurt Hale is a bachelor, and he loves Kylie, his niece. He loves her like a daughter, blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, my wife read it and said, hey, I think Kurt Hale's married. I was like, no, he's not married. I wrote these books. I know he's not married. Well, it turns out, yeah, he was married. He's married. Man. <laughs> so, uh, that was just like, stab my fork in an eye. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and you know who's going to talk to you about that? Your readers. If you don't catch oh, yeah. that. Oh, that. Oh, uh, there's another one. I just got an email today. So in – um, in um, One Rough Man, my very first book, Pike oh. Logan carjacks or uh, steals a uh, Chevy Cutlass. Okay. Just a small scene. Well, Oldsmobile made the Cutlass. Right. And I get emails say. every four months. <laughs> I just got one today. Hey, just read One Rough Man, really liked it. Just want to let you know, Oldsmobile oh. makes a Cutlass. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it's the little details that are going to get you tripped up, Brad. I swear. Oh, yeah. So, but you still haven't done a, a, a cattle a character uh, book, right? You don't have your your character bible set up. We, uh, I'd say we're. Um, eh, just admit I, it, just you don't honest, have it. I'd say we're ten percent into it. <laughs> I was going to say we're fifty percent into it, but it's really about ten percent. That's so. so funny. I have a, a little sheet that it's it's got you know specific characters, but see, I never really thought I would use any of the characters again. So. For like Aaron and Shoshana, I was going to kill them in Days of Rage, and I liked him too uh-huh. much, so I let him ride off in the sunset. And then uh, I needed some characters in a different book, two books later, and so I said, well, let's pull them off the shelf. They're out there. And the fans loved it. And I was like, holy moly, I really wish I had taken the time to develop what they look like and who they are and all this kind of stuff, because then I, have to, I constantly have to go back to old manuscripts and say, you know, do the search and replace function of Aaron. Boom, there he is. Okay, there's his last name. There you go. Here's how tall he is. So 
when you, uh, which leads me to another thought, when you have to go back and reread your earlier books, do you appreciate your writing then? Or do you wish you, do you think you are writing better? Do you I'm cringe? definitely writing better now. Because mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, I never had any instruction on writing. I just wrote, mm-hmm. I'm the biggest copycat in the world. I wrote what I thought I would want to read. That's what I wrote. So best way to I've do it. I've been a voracious reader, and I was like, this is how I'm going to write this stuff. Um, but I've certainly gotten better. There's, uh, I mean, you can't help but get better if you just keep doing it. Right. Um, but I do read some things, and this is going to sound arrogant, but I mean, I literally was reading One Rough Man the other day because um, there was a passage in there I wanted to make sure I wasn't duplicating for the new book I'm writing. And uh, when I, I, you get engrossed in your own writing, and I started reading, and I was like, did I write? Pretty good. <laughs> so, I mean, I kind of amazed myself. I'm like, what in the world? You know, um, do you when you are reading books that you particularly enjoy, especially before or, or when you first started reading, did you like sticky note or mark up those books and notice where story arcs were and how to bring in tension no. and things? No, no, I just read. You, I just read for enjoyment. I never spent any time trying to learn. You know, I never marked anything up. I just read. Interesting. So whose books do you like to read? Who's sitting on your nightstand right now? Well, as a matter of fact, I've got the latest Carl Heisen's sitting staring at me in the face right now, Razor Girl. Uh, I read murder mysteries. So John Sanford, uh, Robert Grace, uh, Carl Heisen. Uh, That's that's what I read. Wow. And those are not – well, Robert Grace, of course. Bob's books are great. Um, Have you read A Dangerous Man? Did you read that one already? Not yet. See, I, I still, oh. I, I'm still in the army phase of uh, into a uh, cargo pocket, but you can put a paperback uh, in there. So I read paperbacks. Okay. All right. Well, you'll you'll get it. You'll get it's it's great. You're gonna love it. Um, uh, so your tour starts when? When is your first day? Let me go back and uh, see January seventh. January seventh. When the book releases, and where is your big release going to be? Uh, I start out the Poison Pen, but we do a book launch here in Charleston. This time it's going to be the end of the tour. Uh, there's always some place in Charleston that factors into the book, and we do the launch there. Right. Well, you know, Brad, it's just been a real fun time talking to you. Um, yeah, you're going to be at the Hudson Cooper Room um, and for the Charleston book launch So for uh, called an Uptown Social, which I like that. Yeah. And, um, and tell us where we can find you on the web, please, so everybody knows. Yeah, you can. Uh, they can read any excerpts. Of the, I've got excerpts of all my novels on uh, bradtaylorbooks.com, uh, along with the blog post you mentioned earlier, and uh, any all the tour events are all right there. They are, if they don't change again, like we said earlier. Um, it's really been fun talking to you. Um, uh, you know, sorry I took you. I took you into territory where you might get hate mail. Oh. I probably will too. But you know what? That's life in the big city. What are you gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've got somebody. Thank you very huh? much for having me. Uh, you're absolutely welcome. I'll see you when you're down here in Naples. Okay. Okay. Looking forward. Alrighty. To it. Okay, bye-bye. And thanks, listeners, for listening to us today. I appreciate it, and thank you, Mom and Dad. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.